Okay, I'm sitting down. Yes, I am lazy, but I'm sitting down because our youth minister loves me so much. He has the bubonic black plague, and he gave it to me. So uh, I love you guys dearly, but I'm not going to hug you today. In fact, if I come to you and want to hug you, you know we have a relational issue, okay? So I'll fist bump you or I'll salute you. But um, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Back in 1980, I was a mere toddler. But the show Dallas was at its prime. And in May of 1980, someone shot some, shot JR. How many of you are old enough to remember that? That became an industry into itself. In fact, there was even a song that summer about who shot J.R. 51 years ago uh, this month, John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, was shot in Dallas. And still, uh, 51 years later, there's still some questions about who did that or who, uh, who all was involved. The who question is a big question in life. And In Acts chapter 6 this morning, Acts chapter 6... We're going to look at a big who question. We're going to look at who you and who I need to be. Who God wants us to be and who we need to be. My first thought is this, as we look into this scripture, is you need to be on top of your game. If you're a sports person, you know what that means. If you're not a sports person, very simply, that means to be on top of your game. It means you need to be doing well and playing well, and you need to be ready to go. And most of you in here have, uh, have enough experience to know in life, uh, it's not a scrimmage. We're, we're not going to get a do-over, and you need to be on top of your game. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Here's what was going on in this story. The church is, is relatively young, very new, and it's exploding. When it says the number of disciples were increasing, what that means here is the number of people getting saved was just exponentially. I mean, people, people were getting saved left and right. I mean, it, the church was just booming. It was wet and wild. I mean, they were baptizing people all the time. And, and, and which that was a fantastic thing, a great thing. Church had gone from 120 in Acts chapter 1, if you were to read this afternoon, to Acts chapter 2, it went to 3,000 people. Acts chapter 4, it went to 5,000 people. Now, who knows, they may have been around 6,000 people. But folks, any time an organization or a living organism like a church or a family, a team or a, a workplace... Any time that it's doing well, it's going to be attacked. In fact, I could tell you this morning, if you wanted your church or your family or your spiritual life to be left alone by the devil, do nothing. <laughs> just, just do nothing. Just be lukewarm and, and don't really care because the devil's got you where he wants you there. He's not going to attack you. But when, when you're doing what you should be doing... You're going to be attacked. You're going to be hit. And just naturally, too, problems are going to arise and come in. What was happening here? It says the Grecian widows. Now, that doesn't mean anything probably to us. Who is this group? This is a group of widows, obviously ladies, who had, or Jewish people who had become Christians, and they're in Jerusalem now. 
But they had probably grown up and been raised outside of Jerusalem and Palestine. And they are Greek in their nature. They're Greek in their culture. They're Greek in their language. And it says there's a conflict with the Hebraic Jews. Now, I doubt this week you talk any about the Hebraic Jews in Ruston or the Hebraic Jews in Dubok or wherever it is that you live and hang out. What does Hebraic Jews mean? It just meant the Hebrew type of Jews. These were, these were the Jewish widows who were from that area, from Palestine, from Jerusalem. They spoke Aramaic. They were more Hebrew in their nature and in their culture. So right off the bat, as the church is exploding, all kinds of cultures and races are coming in and mixing, and you're having some problems. You're having some problems with the people. Now, what, what's the deal with the widows? Well, Jewish people, even today... They it'd be ideal to be able to go back to Jerusalem to be buried. So you've got, you've got probably an extraordinary amount of widows in Jerusalem even today, but you certainly did then. You had no kind of social systems, government aid, anything like that. So the church, our people, had to take care of the poor and the widows. The Old Testament, the Jewish people were great at this. Christianity picked this up as the right thing to do. In fact, in the synagogues or at the temple once a week and in the church they were doing this. When you took up your regular offering, your tithe, you might give a little bit extra for the poor. The synagogue, the Jewish custom, once a week they would have a big table and they would feed these ladies or they would give them out food. And apparently the church was doing this every single day of the week. And there starts to be some murmuring and some griping among the people. Now, it doesn't say, actually, that these ladies are griping and murmuring. It says their folks are, their peeps are, are griping and complaining. Now, I know none of you know anything about griping and complaining and murmuring, so let me explain it to you. This is when people start talking in the hallways. You know what they did? You know how they are. Why do you think they're doing that? I just don't think they like me. I think they're dumb. I think they're evil. They're out to get me. And that apparently was what was going on. In verse 2, what had been the solution wasn't working anymore. So the, the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, the 12 is Jesus' disciples. Judas is dead. Now, but they, they elected in Acts 1 a guy named Matthias to, re, to replace him. And so this is Peter, James, and John, those guys. And they're preaching and they're teaching. And up to this point, they're doing all the ministry work. But 12 people can't take care of five or 6,000. It was overwhelming. They had a problem. And it, it threatened the unity and the health of the work of Jesus Christ there in their church. You've got problems too. You have issues you have issues at school. You have issues maybe with your parents. Undoubtedly, you have <laughs> issues with your children. That's why you sent them off to Pine Cove for the weekend, right? Isn't it good to send your kids off with someone else to watch them? Amen. That's the, that's the Jesus way. Um, You have problems in your workplace. You have problems with your friends. You have problems with the people you're dating. You have problems in church. I want to tell you this morning, what we see in this story, after God himself, obviously, the most important thing that you can bring into the equation is you being the right kind of who. You being the right kind of person. Again, 
we spend a lot of time trying to, trying to change and correct and adjust everybody else. The only person we can ultimately control is us. So I want to give you two things that if you and I would be these people, man, would it make a huge difference. The, the great news uh, is that this is obtainable. The bad news is very few people obtain it, but it is obtainable. Here's number one. Here's what I want to challenge you. Who's, this is what I want to challenge you to be. Number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you are going right now, oh, no, that's confusing. That's speaking in tongues. That's stuff we see on TV and we don't understand. Or, or they say that and then they want us to send money. It, it's really not that confusing, although... When you just first hear that, it is. Let me tell you what this is. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, number one, is to be controlled by the Spirit. If you're taking notes, that is absolutely huge. My whole life growing up, the Holy Spirit's confusing to a lot of people. Not easy to understand. When I was a kid, everybody used the King James, and it's called the Holy Ghost. And that scared me. Ghosts were not friendly, except Casper, and he was kind of wimpy. The Holy Spirit is God. Look in verse 3, the, the kind of who they were looking for. In verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit. The word full here means to be filled. It, it's a fullness or a completeness. It's the picture of a, of a big table with a tablecloth that absolutely and completely covers the table. Again, to be filled is synonymous with being controlled. That's a, that's a really important way to understand this. Probably, probably one of the best illustrations for this is found in the Bible in Ephesians 5.18. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is such a great example. A drunk person is full to some extent of alcohol, correct? And they are controlled by the alcohol. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. If you've never been drunk, watch Andy Griffith and watch when Otis comes on. That's what it looks like, okay, in a very clean version of it. Being drunk means a person has used alcohol to the extent that it's filled them enough that it is controlling them. This is the illustration God used. Here's what God says. Instead of being filled and controlled by alcohol, isn't this great? Be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You get the picture there? A person who is controlled by and filled with alcohol, that dictates their behavior largely versus being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, here's another thing that's really helped me. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by Jesus. I was in graduate school and a professor said this, and again, the light goes off at this point. I don't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, that was confusing, okay? That means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then he said, hey, if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're controlled by Jesus. You're controlled by God. When, when they began to look for the who in this equation, what they looked for was a person who was filled and controlled by Jesus. Say amen. Isn't that great? Listen, you are controlled by something this morning. Some of you are controlled by anger. You were born mad. The doctor slapped you, and you hadn't got over it. He slapped me. He started to. I grabbed his hand, and I said, I don't think I'd do that, buddy. You've been mad your whole life. Or you're bitter. 
Somebody hurt you years ago, and you hurt everybody else who had nothing to do with it. Some, some of you may have a, a problem being filled with alcohol and controlled by it, or, or filled with drugs and controlled by it. Let me tell you the biggest problem most of us has, we're just filled with self. You know who controls most of you here, and it controls me most of the time, is me. Think how the game would change Think how the game would change if when you came into the picture, you came into the picture as a person not controlled by religion or by anger or by bitterness, but by Jesus Christ. That's a game changer, isn't it? So how are we filled with the Spirit? Again, it's confusing. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? So I want to be controlled by Jesus. How does it happen? Number one, it happens at salvation. You have to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you, got to, you, you can't miss first base. Well, I just want to go to second base like I hit a double. It doesn't work that way. You've got to go to first base. This is a little confusing, but this is important. When you were saved, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know people. some people disagree. If you disagree with me, that's fine. We can talk later. You, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit once. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit every day. You get that? You've got the Holy Spirit. Write this verse down if you're taking notes. Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. It's impossible to say, I was a Christian two years ago and I got the Holy Spirit last week. You got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. The problem with most of us, we've got him bottled up in our big toe. The Bible calls that quenching the Spirit. You get the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit begins at salvation. Number two, stay spiritually clean. What do I mean by that? As a Christian... It means that you don't let that bitterness stay in your heart. You forgive others. You confess your sins. You don't do this once a week. You, you, you do it ten times a day. You don't pray the silly prayer, God forgive me if I've sinned. Remove the if and get specific. And if you're married, your spouse will help you with that, won't they? Let, let me, this isn't original with me. Boy, this is good. Folks, God can fill a broken vessel. God can fill a young vessel. God can fill some of you vessels out there that are graying around the rim. God can fill a vessel that hadn't been a vessel for, of his very long, but God can't fill a dirty vessel. Did you get that? You got to stay spiritually clean. And number three, surrender. Surrender. Every day, part of your prayer needs to be, God, I resurrender myself to you. You're not being resaved. You're resurrendering. Uh, folks, now listen to this. I, I think this is so, so good. God can't control you if you're in control. God can't control you if alcohol, the drugs, the temper. But again, for many of us, us, God can't be in control if you are going to be in control. You've got to surrender yourself to God. I want to ask you this morning, how would it change your game? How would it change your marriage? How would it change our church? How would it change your relationship to your parents or your kids? How would it change your relationship to your students or your teachers or your coaches or your players if you were the one that came into every situation the best you can be being filled with Jesus Christ? When they had a problem in the first century, they didn't go looking for PhDs, and there's nothing wrong with PhDs. They went looking for people filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They didn't go looking for somebody who had the whole Bible memorized. There's nothing wrong with that. They went looking for people controlled by Jesus Christ. That's number one. Here's number two. Be wise. Who do you need to be? Who do I need to be? We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And we need to be wise. In verse 3, But choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. If you're taking notes, this word wisdom in your Bibles, it means to do life well. It means to do life well with God and others. It means to live skillfully and sensibly. It's to live skillfully and sensibly. I want to read to you something I saw this week. Uh, it's by a guy named James Billington. James Billington serves as the librarian of the, the Library of Congress of the United States. Largest library in the world. It was established by our Congress in 1800. In 1815, Thomas Jefferson gave them 6,487 books. I don't know, maybe they had seven or 8,000 books 200 years ago. Now, or this was as of 2012, the Library of Congress has more than 155 million items. More than 35 million catalog books, other print materials in 470 languages, nearly 120 million additional items in various formats. Hundreds of millions of items. But Billington goes on and he says this, In this age of information overload, are we wiser? And here's what he says, no. Wouldn't you agree with that? We are not. Look at our country. Look at our world. We aren't wiser. You can Google anything. Literally, you could type in anything and Google it. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that, did A couple of you did. It's not wise yet. You will be before the sermon's over. You see, wisdom is obtainable. Man, I pursue knowledge. I love knowledge. I love to read. I love to pursue knowledge. Pursue education. I'm educated way beyond my level of intelligence. Pursue it. Get all you can. But a Ph.D. doesn't make you wise. And not having an education doesn't make you wise either. How do we get wisdom? Let me share with you a few ways that are laid out in the Bible. Number one, it starts with our relationship with God. We have to go back to that. Years ago, I knew a person in another state. And a lot of the people that knew this guy talked about, oh, he's wise, he's wise, he's wise, he's wise. And red flags went up to me because he was anti-Christ. I mean, he was anti-God, anti-church, didn't want his kids going. And not, not didn't, just not didn't want them going. He would keep them out of church, which is weird in the South. You know, it's, it, it's weird. And people always talked about how wise he was. And over the last few decades, as I've observed his life, he hadn't been a very wise person. And, and let me tell you why. Proverbs 1, 7, look what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Folks, really doing life well starts when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. Now, now, let me give you some pile on here of this God thing. It means that you spend your life taking in the Word of God. The Bible, you hear it preached, you hear it taught, you read it, you study it. Now, now remember, the people that Jesus hammered the most were a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees knew the Bible very, very well. They just didn't do it. And Jesus told, he told them all, all the time, you're going to go to hell if you don't change. 
You've, you know the answers. You're just not doing it. Wisdom is found in taking in the word and living it out. Wisdom is found in a person who prays and prays and prays. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed and said, Holy Spirit, fill me? And when was the last time you prayed and said, God, give me wisdom? In James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let me put a, just hold that there. That doesn't mean don't study for your test and ask God for answers. That's not what he's talking about. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gifts generously to all without finding fault. Wisdom starts when you enter into a relationship with Christ. You get his word poured in you, and, and you live a life of prayer. You walk with God. Here's number two part of this wisdom. Wise people are slow in a lot of ways. They move slowly in key areas. Now, I'm going to explain that for you. But I want to tell you this is crucial. Some of the dumbest things I've done and you have done is because we have acted without thinking. Amen? But I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get a hammer and go in and start swinging. That makes you feel good. Yeah. It's a disaster. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God's desire. We get that all backwards. We are very quick to speak, and we don't listen very well at all. True? Wise people are slow in the right areas. They're quick to hear. They're slow to speak. You don't get it back once you say it, once you text it, once you email it. It's gone. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. How many of us have done foolish things in the name of our temper? Well, Daddy was bad-tempered. That's just who I am. No, it's not. It's who you're choosing to be. Wise people are slow and deliberate in their decision-making process. Now, I'm not talking about if, if your kid's in a car and the car's on fire, you pray about it. Oh, Lord, should we get the car kid out of the car? We'll, you know, use your head. Nine years ago, I was at a conference in Chicago, and Dr. Stephen Samples, who was the president at University of Southern California, spoke, and, and he said something I'd never heard in all the leadership stuff I've ever read. He said, if you can put a decision off to tomorrow, do it. Now, again, some of you have been putting off decisions for 10 years. Do it. But what he was saying is, is a, if you can give it another day to think, to pray, and to work through it, be slow in your decision-making. Wise people are slow to quit. They're slow to judge people. They're, they're slow in key areas. Here's the third thing. Wise people think about the big picture. They think with the big picture in mind. Here's what unwise people do. They don't think about anybody else. They don't think about the results of their decisions. They don't think of how it's going to impact the church, the team, the school, the business, the family. They just do it because they're emotional and they're hot-headed and they're unwise. This is a true story. Three years ago, it was January of 2011, the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears in the NFC Championship game. The Packers go on and play in the Super Bowl in two weeks, and they won the Super Bowl. But in Chicago, a guy named John Stone worked for Webb Chevrolet. In Chicago, did you hear me? Chicago just got beat by Green Bay. 
John Stone is a huge Green Bay Packer fan. He wears his Green Bay Packer tie to work the next day. His supervisor tells him once, twice, three, four, five times, take the stinking tie off. He doesn't. He gets fired. He's furious. The manager says, we give $20,000 a month to Chicago Bear radio ads. We provide the most valuable player of each game award to the Chicago Bears. If we want one of our employees not wearing a Green Bay Packer tie after they win, they beat us, he needs to take it off. How many of you would agree that guy, at least for that time, had a brain lapse? What's more important? I mean, winning winning that battle or winning the war? Think with the big picture in mind. And lastly, wise people think long-term. That they think, again, this, is, this goes certainly with the big picture, but they think about ramifications. Hey, young people and college students, are you thinking about if you marry that person, you're going to be married to them five years from now? Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I know. I hear my wife mumbling that in her sleep a lot. Maybe the best way to explain this is a story of a, uh, an extended family member of mine who I love dearly, but who lived for the moment. I'm not even sure they lived for the next day. I mean, if it was noon and they wanted to do something, they did it. Not thinking at all about how it was going to affect them at 2 o'clock. How, what was going to do their bank account? What was going to do their money? What, what was it doing to their health? And, you know, we had their funeral when they were a young person. And young people die all the time. And that, that, that certainly doesn't mean that young people die because they do dumb things. A lot of times it's, it's other people who do dumb things or there's tragedy or disease. But in this case of this person I love dearly, it was because they made a lifetime of decisions never thinking about the next moment. To some of you, you're making decisions that are going to impact your kids for eternity. And yeah, they've got to decide on heaven or hell on their own, but you're, you're the key player. Wise people think about the big picture. They think long term. And, and lastly, I just want to say, these qualities lead to true success. This is where success comes. In verse 7, the summary, they, they chose these guys. They chose seven guys. They gave them the job of basically taking care of the tables. These guys who were full of spirit, who were wise, And the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. The church exploded again. The unity was restored. The great commission was taking place. The great missionary movement was fixing to start. And it began with a problem where they got the right who, the right who's, plural, in the mix. And it solved the problem. I want to tell you, whatever your situation is, if you will be the right person, it may not change everybody and everything, but I want to tell you, it is a game changer. Years ago, an old preacher named Ian Bounds made a statement that's timeless. Ian Bounds said, men are always looking for, for, for better products, and they're looking for better policies, and God's always looking for better men. And that's generic for women, too. See, we're looking for a better 
a law or we're looking for a, a better piece of machinery. When God says the key is there needs to be better people. I want to challenge you to be that kind of person this morning. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I would, I would ask you, challenge you, will you choose to be filled with the Spirit and will you choose wisdom? It's choices. God is willing to cooperate 100%. Will you choose that? And if you're not a Christian, the wisest thing you can do this morning is to give your life to Christ. I want to encourage you right where you're seated. Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And today, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment. And maybe today you prayed and asked Christ in your heart, or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come today? Would you come and let one of our ministers help you with that decision? Maybe you're here today and God's leading you to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that, when we stand, is you can come. There'll be ministers down here. We'll help you do that. Christian, maybe it's where you're standing, or maybe at the altar, on your knees, or maybe praying with a minister. You need to say to God, God, from this day forward, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to strive to live filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, I'm going to try with your help to live with wisdom. Will you... Christian, for your sake, will you make that decision today? Let's stand. Let's stand, and as God leads you, as we sing, you come. We'll be down here waiting on you this morning.